0: for stepping in for us this morning, last minute. I called him at like 8 o'clock last night and said, hey, brother, are you ready? And he was, so thankful for that this morning. Amen. For us as Americans, we often are not as familiar with history in England and throughout Europe, although we tend to spend a lot of time knowing American history, which is good and well, we often miss out on much of what happened in England, particularly centered around the church. When Queen Mary became Queen of England in 1516, she began quickly to eradicate Protestantism and to seek to prop up again Roman Catholicism as the official church. One of her first acts as queen was to arrest three men, Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer, and Archbishop Thomas Cramner. After these men served a time in the Tower in London, the three were taken to Oxford in September of 1555 in order for them to face trial before the Lord Commissioner. When Ridley was asked by the Lord Commissioner what he thought of the Pope, whether he thought the Pope was the authority to Peter as the foundation of the church, he replied that the church had no foundation but Jesus Christ that Christ was the Son of God and he had supreme authority. Ridley said that he could not honor the Pope in Rome since the papacy was seeking its own glory and not the glory of God. Neither Ridley nor Latimer could accept the Roman Catholicism's mass as a sacrifice of Christ. In fact, Latimer told the commissioner this, Christ made one obligation and sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And that a perfect sacrifice neither needed to be nor can there be other than him. Ridley and Latimer were later both burned at the stake. On October 16, 1555, both of the men were convicted and tried, and, or were tried and convicted and sentenced to death. And as they were being tied to the stake, some of the observers there began to write down what they said. This was a kind of a normal custom because there was much revelation that was coming from God through these men as the Spirit moved them. And Ridley prayed, O Heavenly Father, I give unto you, mote my heart, and I give you my heart of thanksgiving. That you have called me to be a professor of you, even unto death. I beseech you, Lord God, have mercy on the realm of England, and deliver it from all her enemies. As they were burning Ridley, uh, there was a problem. They had not used wood that had dried out. They had used rather fresh cut wood that they had just cut earlier that morning. And as many of you know, green wood does not burn very quickly, and so as Ridley was there burning at the stake, he was burning slowly, and one of the things they would do often in a custom was tie gunpowder around the neck of those being burned at the stake so that they would die more quickly. The flames would hit the gunpowder, and you can imagine the rest, and so in order to do that, well, Ridley's brother had brought some of this gunpowder, and he began to stoke up the fire, and Ridley, as he cried, as he's burning alive very slowly, says this, Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit, but he wouldn't burn. And so he repeated, Lord, have mercy upon me. I cannot burn. Let the fire come upon me. I cannot burn. And he began to repeat this. And one of the bystanders finally helped him burn more quickly. Well, Latimer was there with him, right next to him, as he's burning. And Latimer began to say to Ridley, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. What Latimer and Ridley and Cranmer faced was a trial that many of you, me included, would probably never have to face, Lord willing. To have the President of the United States, the Queen of England, take us and tie us up because we preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many other ways that we are tempted to deny the Lord Jesus. Many ways in our life, maybe not as extreme, maybe not as serious. But I want you to think this morning. How are you tempted to deny the Lord Jesus? And what is the Lord's remedy for such temptations? I invite you to turn this morning to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, I just invite you to grab one of those Bibles in front of you and look at it. It would be a rather boring time if you're not looking at the Bible. Um, I invite you to turn page 851 if you're not used to where the Bible is. I don't hear any pages turning, so praise the Lord, you must be there. So let's go on, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant g- girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it and said, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the courtyard, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. as we've taken this slow walk through the gospel of mark i hope that you have uh, enjoyed the scenery and taken in much of the artistry that mark uses to craft and weave these stories together uh, mark in this particular passage and section he has employed that favorite artistic style of sandwiching together various stories in order to press a particular point to his readers and the particular point that we see as, as, as he talks about in, at the beginning of this section, back in verse 53, where Jesus is taken to the high priest. You'll notice in verse 53, he's taken, Jesus is arrested, he's, he's there on trial. And then you'll notice in verse 54, he, he has this short little statement about Peter. And Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he's warming himself by the fire. And then he leaves Peter. And he, the camera kind of shifts again to Jesus on trial. And then now, in this particular passage, the camera has panned back over to Peter. There he is at the fire. And so between the sort of two slices of bread Peter introduced and then now reintroduced to the story, we are, we are meant to really focus on Jesus who is in the middle. He is, he is under trial. And Peter's trial is just beginning. And so one of the things you want to understand, if you just sort of think about it in a literary way, this is a trial of Peter. This is the trial of Peter. Just like Jesus is on trial before the high priest, Peter is here on trial before the servant girl and some other folks in the crowd. But where we see Peter fail, we see Jesus faithful. We see Jesus not failing to follow the Father's will, but rather faithfully following His Father. But our focus this morning is particularly here on Peter's denial. And as we think about this denial, we surely can conclude that this is unrepeatable by us. That is, if you're reading the Bible to kind of gain some sort of how-to this morning, you're going to find it really hard to do that from this particular passage, because you will never in your life face exactly the same trial that Peter faced. Right, the Lord Jesus has already gone to heaven. He's He's coming to come again, but there's not going to be a trial like this. Jesus is no longer going to be manhandled by men again. And so, this morning, as you think about this passage, what can we learn from Peter's trial, particularly his denial? What can we learn from this passage? I think this is the point that Mark has for us, because again, I want you to be reminded that Mark is writing to Christians. He's writing this letter, uh, this gospel to Christians. He's writing it to you and to me. So how can we understand something from this passage? Well, I think it is this. Peter's denial serves as a warning to us that if we do not watch and pray, we too will fall into temptation. I'll say that again. Peter's denial serves as a warning to us and to all. That if we do not heed the Lord's warning to watch and pray, we too will fall into a similar temptation. So, I want to consider from this passage three observations. Three sort of general observations that I think we can make from this particular passage that is helpful for us this morning. First, I want us to observe the nature of temptation. Observe the nature of temptation. Second, I want us to observe the warning to watch and pray. So sort of implicit behind this passage is Jesus' words to Peter, watch and pray. And then thirdly, I want us to finally observe the hope of restoration. That in these words, we will find hope. That if we perhaps have denied the Lord Jesus this morning, Perhaps this week there has been times where we have slipped into denying Christ Jesus. Maybe not in the same way Peter does, but in a similar way. Then there is hope that even the worst of sinners can be saved. So first, let us observe the nature of temptation. Well, the first thing as we consider this passage, just look at the narrative, we begin to observe that the nature of temptation is that temptations will undoubtedly come temptations will undoubtedly come peter himself along with the rest of the disciples were warned by jesus that temptations are coming that listen if you you need to watch and pray precisely because temptations are coming and so one of the kind of the first things we need to be really just kind of clear about is that no one here has an inoculation from temptation no one is exempt from being tempted uh, the, temptation is not something that you can avoid in this fallen world with the prince of the power of the air running it. Temptations and traps are all around. And so even as you hear this sermon this morning, you may be tempted. Tempted to think about maybe perhaps burdens that are on your heart and mind. Temptation to think about, you know, what I have to do today. We are facing temptations all around us. So we see that temptations will come. The nature of temptations is that they come. But not only do they come, we see in this passage that they come quickly. Temptations come quickly. We're we're told that Peter is just kind of chilling down there in the courtyard. He's really not doing anything. But here, that servant girl comes quickly. She approaches him in a moment. He is minding his own business, listening in to the Lord's trial. So so imagine, uh, this is sort of a big, wealthy kind of mansion thing going on. uh, And uh, Jesus is up on the balcony there being tried. Peter's down below there by the fire. There's some folks around and he's just kind of minding his own business. But there in the darkness, he is met quickly with temptation. In a blink of an eye, the trial of Peter began. There was no warning. There was no siren. There was no, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming to get you. Nothing tipped his hand off that she was coming. I mean, she was just a servant girl after all, wasn't she? She was nothing about her. She wasn't a guard. She wasn't anything that would have caused Peter to say, you know what, I need to watch myself. This girl may be Satan. And so we see that temptations will come quickly. They come quickly, without a warning or without notice. They come, boom, they're there. You see how quick Peter fell into temptation. But not only do temptations come quickly, we see in this passage that temptations come persistently. Persistently does this girl tempt him. We're told in this passage three times, Peter is tempted to deny the Lord Jesus and each time he fails look at verse 68 67 excuse me we are told there that that little that, that, excuse me that servant girl i almost used the diminutive form that don't don't read into that little girl some some people have thought that this was like a little girl no she may have been 20 30 doesn't particularly say anything about age but she was nonetheless a servant and so we see in this particular thing that he was approached by her, and she came. And then later, look at verse 69, and the servant girl saw him again. She kind of like, ah, oh, I see him again. He tried to get away, but there he is. I'm going to go and find him. There he is. And then she, she doesn't just prod him. She actually gets the crowd involved in it, right? And so he began to say to the bystanders, hey, this guy's one of them. Let's, let's, let's get him. And then, then, then it rises even more, right? Then the whole crowd gets involved in this. What we see here is that temptations are persistent. Temptations are persistent. They they don't just come once and leave. They don't just kind of say, Hi, I'm here. Oh, you don't want me? Bye. No, they come persistently. They come again and again. It was not enough that he denied the Lord Jesus once. It was not sufficient for Satan. Rather, Satan sought To sift him. Remember what Jesus had said to Peter. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants you. He wants all of you. And so Satan will not stop in his attacks. Do you not think that Satan is a wise warrior? If he finds an opening, will he not go through it again and again and again? If he finds a weakness in the gate, will he not blow again and again? No, he comes that way. and It reminds us of our need because of the persistent nature of temptation to shore up areas of weakness. Our walls of defense, our shields of protection need to be able to withstand persistent and regular and quick attacks. But we don't see not only persistence and quickly in this passage, we also see that they come in various forms and from various sources. As we already considered, Peter wasn't just merely tempted by this servant girl, which as you consider it would have been completely surprising to Peter, as it is surprising to us. What, I mean, what was it about her that made her ask this particular question? Why wasn't she doing her job? Why was she so concerned about it? So we see a bit of subtlety in temptation. Temptation will come from various forms. It it will come from various sources. We we cannot just say, oh, temptation is only going to come through this particular source. No, our enemy is crafty. Crafty in his attack. He will come in various ways. Therefore, we must not always think that it's going to be the same way every single time. Today it may be through a friend. Tomorrow it may be through the internet. Temptations come in various forms and in various ways. The enemy is ready and willing to use whatever means necessary to destroy your soul. Whatever means necessary. As we consider that it was Peter who came under attack, I mean, we have to consider who this character is and why he's being highlighted so much in this particular story. What's the big deal about Peter? Well, first, as we consider Mark, John Mark, who's writing this, we know from the book of Acts that Mark and Peter were buddies. They were traveling companions. They they did ministry together. And so as Peter went about doing ministry, uh, Mark was with him. And so much of the stories that Mark is uh, is writing, he got from Peter. All right, And so, we understand that importance. But beyond that, the Lord Jesus has sort of singled out Peter for a particular purpose. Now some, like the Roman Catholics, have distorted that. Uh, But clearly, Peter was to have an important place within the church. He was to help lead the church. He was to help form the church. After all, this is his name isn't really Peter, but Simon. Right? Peter was the name Jesus gave him, and the name that that Peter means in Greek is is rock, petros. He's the rock. He's the one who gave that great and grand confession. Right? You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus says, "Oh Simon, son of Bar Jonah." Right? The Lord. Spoken through you by the Spirit of God. Peter was the one whose mother, uh, wife, mother's wife, his mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. He was the—he's the one who—who who, whose home was used as like base camp in Galilee when they were stationed there in Galilee and doing ministry. It was in Peter's house. Peter was the one who got to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus. Was revealed to Peter. But Peter was the one also who declared that I am willing to die with you. How quickly we see temptation come. But as we observe, secondly, in the nature of temptation, we also see that temptations have a purpose. Temptations have a purpose. Our great enemy has a purpose. With the temptations he brings. And it is just helpful for us to kind of think about that in this passage this morning. What was the purpose? Why Peter? Well clearly as we've already indicated. Peter was to play an important part in the formation of the church. Look. I'm taking out the head. I'm going to take out the lieutenants too. And so he tried to take out Peter. He thought to accomplish something by attacking him that night. Therefore the Savior warned him that Satan wanted him. Notice how quickly the temptation came with the purpose to destroy Peter's integrity. Let's look at what Peter said. Peter is asked three times whether he knows Jesus or whether he's associated with Jesus. And, And I want you to just notice what Peter says each time in response. First in verse 67. Excuse me. That's what she says in verse six, verse sixty eight. Peter says, "I neither know nor understand what you mean." Okay, so the excuse me. The first time Peter denies understanding anything about Jesus or his disciples or the Christian faith. He didn't know anything. He said, "I, I don't. What are you talking about? I've never heard this before. This is all news to me." I've never heard of this Jesus fellow before. Well, what do you mean? I don't understand. But it's not only here, but also in verse 70, look what he says. Oh, excuse me. He denies him in verse 70, and then verse 71, he begins to curse himself, and he says this, I do not know this man of whom you seek. So he swears, I don't even know this guy. I've never seen him before. What do you mean? That guy, up there, I don't know who that is. You put, I don't know, what's, what's his name? Jesus. See, this temptation sought to destroy the integrity of Peter. Peter's lying. We all know that. We all know Peter's lying. Peter knows he's lying. But not only does temptation desire our integrity, but it comes to destroy our faith. In each of these denials, the goal of Satan was to undermine Peter's faith in the Lord Jesus. Now I want you to think for a moment what's happening here from a visual perspective. Peter and Jesus are in eye sight of one another. In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus has a gaze upon Peter in his denial, that final denial. He he looks at him. And and so they they see each other. And and what is happening here is Peter is, is being tempted to deny, to ask what John the Baptist asked. Are you the Christ or should we expect another are you the one is this really is this worth it am i really willing to die for him satan didn't want peter just to renounce his his faith or his trust but he wanted him to utterly and ultimately destroy his soul and friends we need to understand that that is the purpose of temptation that's the purpose of temptation, to destroy your soul. And so the next time you want to nuzzle up and flirt with temptation, it's helpful to remember the soul, the, the goal, excuse me, that Satan has in this particular means. I'm going to focus on one other thing as we think about this. In Peter's third denial of Jesus, he began to invoke a curse in verse 71. Look with me there. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Now, some of your translations won't have that phrase on himself. Um, the ESV uh, is the only one that does this um, because it's following the RSV tradition. And, uh, and, and most scholars believe that, that it's not wise to put that in there because it's most likely that he was not just merely invoking a curse on himself, though he possibly was, but on the Lord Jesus And so that's why the NIV and the Christian Standard Bible and other modern translations leave that off. And it says, he began to invoke a curse and to swear. To really press home the point that what Peter's doing here is not only saying, I don't know anything about that, but I hate him. I curse that man. I don't want anything to do with that man. This is serious. This isn't a mere passing, I don't know this guy, a little white lie to get out of trouble kind of thing, but rather what we see here is Peter is completely denying the Lord. He is in essence saying, I put my hand on the Bible as God is my witness. I testify before you and the whole world that I have not Never, no, never, not, never, ever seen that man before in my life. I don't know anything about him. I've never talked to him before. I, in fact, I hope that God would destroy that man. I hope that God would curse him eternally. Satan wanted Peter's And that is the goal of all temptations. Temptations may seem innocuous. This may seem, in uh, a passing glance, uh, no big deal. I mean, yeah, you know, we all, you know, it seems prudent, you know, there's there's some guards around, let's just lie, you know, kind of use a little ethical gymnastics here and try to get around this, kind of say, you know, sometimes it's okay to lie uh, if you're in trouble, you know, if someone's holding a gun to your head, you know, it's okay to lie. So we can kind of sympathize with Peter, But the reality is, is that this temptation sought to destroy his soul. It is a poisonous trap. But not only do temptations come with a purpose, we also observe that they have consequences. That falling into temptations have consequences. And they are laid very clearly before us. Look with me in verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how the Lord had said to him, Before the rooster crows... Twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. He wept. He didn't just cry a little tear down his face. No, the language is clear that he, he broke down. He, he's on the ground. He, he, he is laying out, bitterly weeping over his sin. Temptations often come with a promise of relief. They come with a promise that that if you come in to me, if you will go into this temptation, you will feel relief. It's like a a, a hit of of a drug, like a quick relief. And we see in this passage, there is held out for Peter some relief, is there not? Satan holds out relief to him. He says, here, deny the Lord, and I'll leave you alone. Deny the Lord, and I'll leave you alone. I mean, Peter was just minding his own business. He's just there listening in. Friends, temptations will never leave you alone. They will keep coming, and they will keep offering you that same gift of relief. Oh, if you will just come, you will no longer have to feel the pain of this world, you will no longer have to suffer. Just come. Like Adam and Eve in the garden. Just eat the apple. Oh, and you'll know everything and you'll have everything you need. Temptations always promise this. They promise so much. They promise the world to us. And they promise the world to Peter. Like Satan promised the Lord Jesus. That if you bow down and worship me, you can have the kingdoms of this world. Jesus says, no, I'm all right. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not willing to settle for the kingdoms of this world. I want the kingdoms of all worlds. And so I'm not going to worship you. Peter, if you only deny your Savior, I'll let you go free. If you just renounce your faith, you will not die. Oh, friends, we see, hear stories of this all the time as Christians are faced with this question. Deny the Lord Jesus and you can go free. But temptations are alive. They're deception. They promise endless joy. However, in reality, they bring endless sorrow. Do you think Peter was happy that night? Do you think he went home with a really warm feeling about himself that night? No, he went home broken. Under the weight of condemnation. Under the weight of sorrow of his sin. Not only do we see that, but we see regret in this. Regret. Friends, sin will always overpromise and underdeliver. Sin will always overpromise you. It'll promise you the world. And it will never deliver on that promise. And some of you this morning need to be reminded of that as you flirt with sin in your life that that flirtation with sin as you flirt with that promise that sin says I will give you if you will come like the young man in Proverbs that Solomon tells us about he doesn't see that the prostitute's house is in fact she that is death he doesn't even notice that he's so overwhelmed by her allure that he misses the part of the cemetery in front of the, her house He misses the fact that there's corpse all laying all over the place. If you go to her house, you die. And friends, if we give ourselves into sin, we will die. Consider Esau. After a long day of hunting, he was tired. He was exhausted. All he wanted was a little meal to eat. He just needed something to eat to kind of nourish himself a little bit. And as he comes to the house, he smells his Brother's lentil soup cooking on the stove. And he goes in there, tired and hungry, and his little wicked brother uses it as an opportunity to overcome Esau. Don't think that Jacob was innocent. He was a wicked little man following after his father and the father before him. And Esau was taken in and convinced by his brother to sell his birthright. That is his inheritance said, Esau, here's the deal. I'll give you a bowl of soup if you will come and, and sell me your birthright. So your birthright, everything, our father's legacy for a bowl of soup right now. Immediate relief for lasting pain. That's the deal. And Esau succumbs to it. And he trades in his... In his legacy. He trades in his name for a meager bowl of soup. And this is what Moses tells us. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Despised it. Friends, temptation has one goal in mind. To utterly destroy your soul and cause you to despise your life with Jesus Christ and to only give you lasting sorrow over sin. So the question is how are you tempted to deny the Lord Jesus? You know, we're not often faced with these same sort of circumstances that Peter faced. We'll not be Lord willing to stand before kings and queens and to face these temptations. We will not have to stand before the Queen of England and and recount our faith in Christ. We will not, like the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, have to recount publicly through our writing. We won't have to do those things. But friends, there are subtle ways where we distance ourselves from the Lord. Perhaps we deny the Lord by not trusting in Him when we need Him. Perhaps we deny the Lord when we're around friends and family. We're not willing to count the cost of remaining faithful to Christ. Perhaps this morning you're fearful to tell others how to follow Christ. Perhaps at work you deny your association with Jesus, not by omission, but by omission. Not through public admission that I don't know Him, but by a silent omission. That is, by not telling anyone about the hope of the Gospel in you. Sins of omission always lead to sins of admission. What you do subtly in your heart will one day be brought visible. So the question remains, how are you being tempted by the Lord? I want us to observe secondly as we've considered sort of temptation here. I want to briefly consider how one fights temptation. Uh, What what should have Peter done? What was the positive here in this passage? What's the right way as we see the wrong way? Well, the Lord Jesus has told us, watch and pray. This passage is couched within a larger section in Mark 14 where the Lord Jesus has gone to His disciples and told them, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. So thankfully, the Lord gives us two ways. Watch and pray. And we're just going to run through them very quickly. We don't have a lot of time I don't want to spend on them. Watch. What does it mean to watch? Well, it means to be alert. We've considered this at some length in a previous sermon, and you can go back and think through that on your own as you consider the Lord's exhortation in the Garden of Gethsemane. But from the beginning to the end, we should be watchful. From the beginning of our day to the end of our day, there should not be a moment in your day where you are not watching for temptation. We have seen it. It comes quickly. It comes persistently. It comes out of nowhere. You can never let your guard down. And so you must have a sense of your own weaknesses. You should look inwardly at your own heart. Where are my weaknesses? Where am I vulnerable? Where do do my defenses need to be shored up? Where are you weak this morning? Where are areas in your life that you need to give some attention to to shore up? Not only that, invite others into that. Ask others where your weaknesses are. Where they see your, your, your weaknesses and where your strengths are. Invite others to help you in your battle against temptation. Don't go it alone. Don't do it by yourself. Friends, the best way to attack an enemy is by surprise. And So do not be surprised by sin. Do not be surprised by temptation. Look for it. I'm often amazed that Satan is often a very lazy enemy. That is to say, he always attacks the same places. He attacks the same places. That is to say, where he's gotten a victory before... Well, you're not going to go around... You know, if you don't struggle with lust, he's not going to attack you with lust. But if you struggle with pride, well, you better believe he's going to be attacking you on pride every single day. And so know where your weaknesses are. But not only should we watch, and there's much more that I could say about that. One way that we... Excuse me, I will say this. Another means is to prepare. Prepare. One of the best ways you can watch is by preparation. And we've often noticed this. If you think about our own military here in the United States, uh, we're not in war, uh, but yet we want to grow, right? Why? Because we have an understanding that preparation is key to success in, in battle. Well, so it is spiritually. If you are praying and cultivating in your life God's word, that is, that you are putting in you an arsenal to ready supply you in the day of temptation. This is why the psalmist says, Lord, give me strength to hide up your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. That is, there's a connection between Scripture memory and not sinning. And so I just encourage you this morning, study God's word. Memorize God's word. It is a sure weapon against the warfare of sin. Devote yourself to memorizing God's word. Look, I know many, many of you saints are, are older, and I know it's hard. I mean, I struggle with that too. You know, sometimes just, you know, your mind's not as sharp as it used to be. It's all right. At least give the endeavor. Try to continue to keep your mind sharp with God's Word. Don't go a day where you don't spend. If you want to know more about the, how to memorize large sections of Scripture, or even whole books, um, I can help you with that. I, there's a tool I use daily to do that—memorizing whole books of the Bible. It's—it's it's, it's really not scary. Trust me. All right. Finally, not only watch but pray. Pray, friends. We neglect prayer so much. As we'll sing in a moment, "What a Friend We Have in Jesus." It's a reminder in that song how often we neglect prayer as the weapon of warfare against temptation. And so let your lips be quick to move. Lord Jesus, let me not enter into this temptation. Lord Jesus, help me as I fight. Now I want to conclude with this final word. Observe here in this final passage the hope of restoration. The hope of restoration. As we consider the great fall of Peter that night, we know the end. (laughs) You know. Not like, whoa, surprise, Peter's restored. But we are reminded something here in this passage. Look with me again at verse 71. 72. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Friends, one of the things we notice here in this passage is that Peter, I don't think, just remembered that about what the Lord said. But I think you remembered everything the Lord said. And back up in chapter 14, verse 28. It says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. And we considered that a few weeks ago where that hope of, of the resurrection, the hope of restoration was given there. For Judas, this night did prove to be the end. But for Peter, it was only the beginning. For the tears that he wept that night. The tears that poured from his eyes were were not the tears of worldly sorrow and regret. But rather were turned into repentance. Peter learned to hate sin that night. He turned to godly sorrow and he wept over his sin. But the hope of the Gospel is also in the words at the end. And I want to just sort of pan your eyes over to chapter 16. In chapter 16 we have that glorious passage of the resurrection where Mary Magdalene, and we're going to talk about old Mary, that the worst sinner was the one who got to see the Lord Jesus raised from the tomb. We'll consider that in a few weeks. But I want you to hear something else in this. In verse 7, the angel told do not, it's verse 8, verse 6, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. and He's not here. Seek the place where they laid him. See the place where they laid him. Listen, verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before them. You go tell Peter, Jesus is coming. You go tell Peter, it's okay. His Savior has defeated him sin. Peter was a sinner. Peter was ready to die for Jesus. But that's not what Peter needed. Peter didn't need to die for Jesus. Jesus needed to die for Peter. And friends, in this passage we see the hope of the Gospel that what we have done, each one of us, is deny the Lord Jesus. Not one of us in here is innocent of this. Though our hearts may be blinded to the reality of it, we needed Jesus to die for us. Friends, the place to start is by weeping over sin. See, tears start the journey towards restoration. That's where Peter's journey to restoration began. As those tears hit that ground that night, That hope of restoration isn't only for Peter. But for all who turn from their sin. And trust in Christ Jesus. Peter did not remain in his state of rebellion. But learned to hate sin. He wept over it. And brothers and sisters, my prayer for you this morning is that you will leave here weeping over your sin That your prayer this week will be, Lord Jesus, break my love of sin. I hate it. I don't want it anymore. Rid it from my heart. Friends, may we learn to love our Savior again. To love Christ Jesus more than our sins. Look, maybe you've sinned in in a similar way or even worse. There is hope this morning for you and for me. So study your enemy. Know that temptations will come. See that temptations are before you. Look for them. Mark them down. Do not let Satan blind you. Seek the Lord's remedy to face those. Watch and pray. Learn your heart. Know your weaknesses. Get to know your Savior through prayer. Know that you have a sure supply from Him. And Finally, know that though you may be overwhelmed this week by temptation, though you may stumble and fall, today is the day of salvation. Turn from that sin and trust in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you glory and praise this morning. And do pray that we would be sorrowful over our sin. Father, help us to know our temptations. Help us to know that they are before us. Help us to use these means of grace that you have given us to watch and pray and encourage our hearts to assurance. Father, we pray that you receive glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship.